0: Welcome to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ with Minister Chris Palmer. Bernie Church of Christ meets for worship each Sunday at 1030 a.m. You can find Bernie Church of Christ at 1 Upper Balconies Road, right next to Starbucks. Now, with today's message, here's Minister Chris Palmer. I'd like to begin by reading a
1: speech prepared for President Richard Nixon, dated July 18th 1969, this speech was written by his chief of staff, a man named Bill Sapphire. The speech goes like this. Fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. These brave men, Neil Armstrong and Edwin Aldrin, Know that there is no hope for recovery, but they also know that there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice. These two men are laying down their lives in mankind's most noble goal, the search for truth and understanding. They will be mourned by their families and friends, they will be mourned by their nation, they will be mourned by the people of Earth, and they will be mourned by a Mother Earth that dared send two of her sons into the unknown. In their exploration, they stirred the people of the world to feel as one. In their sacrifice, they bind more tightly the brotherhood of men. In ancient days, men looked to the stars and saw their heroes in the constellations. In modern times, we do much the same, but our heroes are epic men of flesh and blood. Others will follow and surely find their way home. Man's search will not be denied, but these men were the first, and they will remain the foremost in our hearts. For every human being who looks up at the moon in the nights to come will know that there is some corner of another world that is forever mankind." Now, this speech is very somber, it's humbling. And it's respectful. But something is very wrong with it. (laughs) What's wrong with it? Right, Armstrong and Aldrin made it home just fine. (laughs) They made it back to earth safe and sound. So why on earth was this speech that Nixon never delivered, why was it ever written? This speech is found in a document that's titled, In Event of Moon Disaster. And it outlines the plan and the protocol in the event that the astronauts could land on the moon but could not leave the lunar surface. The whole announcement was supposed to end with a clergyman reciting the Lord's Prayer. And then NASA would discontinue all communications with the lunar module, Armstrong, and Aldrin. This was not taught in any of my U.S. history classes. What's more astounding is actually how close Nixon actually was to going on TV and delivering this speech. You see, upon re-entering the lunar module after their moonwalk, Aldrin's backpack accidentally hit a crucial circuit breaker that was labeled engine arm. Apparently, you need the breaker that goes and arms the engine. They had to then sit in the lunar module for hours while NASA engineers worked on a solution. Now, Aldrin, Aldrin reports that they kept the schedule, which was to take a nap. They were supposed to go, in, uh, go to sleep on the moon in the lunar module while Houston feverishly searched for a fix and in the end, it was Aldrin's felt-tipped marker that solved the problem and saved the mission. He jammed that marker into the circuit breaker and pushed it until the circuit was complete and Houston gave them the green light. That pin and the broken circuit breaker are on display at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum in Washington, DC. Now, if that was me, I can only imagine how I would have felt during that time. There is no way that I could have laid down and taken a nap, sitting there and waiting, looking out of that window at the moon's surface, the countless stars, and Earth's blue glow only 239,900 miles away, all the, way, all the while knowing that there is a possibility that i won't be leaving the moon and that there is already a plan in place and a speech written should i have to remain there i think i would have feelings of profound hopelessness just spiraling my my mind running wild second guessing and regretting all of my life's decisions but then in a dramatic swing being filled with joy and relief When the problem is solved and Houston radios in saying you're good to go, it would be emotionally exhausting, rescued from death itself, given a second chance at life. And whether you understand it or not, or whether you even accept it or not, this is the same hope of all of those who believe in Jesus Christ, being rescued from death and given a second chance at life. Only the stakes and the rewards are much higher than being stranded on the moon. Now, we don't cling to a hope of earthly life, but eternal life, the inter- internal, eternal endurance of the human soul." Paul wrote that though we were dead in our trespasses or our sins, God made us alive together again with Christ, forgiving us all our trespasses by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, Colossians two thirteen and 14. Because of Jesus, although life may seem scary and threatening... Although death, tragedy, and sorrow are always around us, and we respect it, and we're very sensitive to it, we have faith and hope that at the end of all things, it is life that will have the final word, that it is the will of God that the cosmos be filled with His presence, and thanks to Jesus Christ, His vision is now our reality. And therefore, we are filled with peace, peace that no matter what, and peace no matter what crisis comes our way. If you have a Bible this morning, you can turn or scroll over to John chapter 11. We'll be in John chapter 11 this morning. We're coming out of uh, John chapter 10. We were in John 10 for two weeks uh, of study, and in John chapter 10, Jesus says that He is the gate, uh, He is the good shepherd who protects, loves, and knows His flock. He loves them so much that He decided to dedicate His life for them. And this is a beautiful way of Jesus describing the care that He and His Father have for humanity. He and His Father who are united. He and His Father who are one, as He says in John 10, uh, verse 30. But this statement is very incendiary, and this statement makes a lot of people mad. In fact, the very next verse, chapter 10, verse 31, it says that some who were there who heard Jesus say this began to pick up stones to throw at him. And Jesus answered them, verses 32 and 33, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, "It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God." Now Jesus escapes from their attempts to capture him, and even though he's made firm enemies, he also has a growing following. Many are being are starting to believe in him every day. And what an emotional roller coaster that must have been. And then in the very next verses, a messenger finds Jesus, and he comes to Him with some sad news, sad news that will bring even the Messiah to tears. Two sisters, Mary and Martha, who were very close to Jesus, sent word that their brother, Lazarus, was ill. And Jesus' very first words when He hears this news is this, verse 11, or uh, verse 4, chapter 11, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I'm sure that this instilled in the listeners a sense of hope that Lazarus would make a full recovery, and therefore there is no cause for great urgency or great concern, verses 5 through 7. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, So, when He heard that Lazarus was ill, He stayed two days longer in the place where He was. Then, after this, He said to His disciples, let us go to Judea again. After two days, Jesus hears this news, and then He waits two days, and then He says, let us go to Judea, which His disciples disagree with. They don't think this is such a good idea. See, Judea, this region of Judea, that's where they just left. In Judea, that's where people were looking for Jesus, wanting to arrest Him, arrest Him, and maybe even kill Him. Going back there was not a good idea. Verses 11 through 16, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go awaken him, Jesus says. "'The disciples said to him, "'Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover, "'maybe still trying to convince him not to go. "'Now Jesus had spoken of his death, "'but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. "'Then Jesus told them plainly, "'Lazarus has died, "'and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, "'so that you may believe, but let us go to him.'" So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we might die with him. Now, Thomas's comment is a strange one. Let us go, that we may die with him. One commentator describes him as courageous, but not triumphant, meaning that he understood, Thomas understood Lazarus' death to be something of a, a martyrdom, He was dying for some higher cause, and Thomas was brave and willing to run off to the same fate. But with his courage also came a sense of cynicism, negativity, and sarcasm, as if death was the final and unavoidable conclusion for all of them. But Jesus had a higher purpose for Lazarus. And by the time that they reach Lazarus' hometown, Bethany, it's about two miles outside of Jerusalem, he'd been dead and in the tomb for four days. Verse 22, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died, but even now... I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Again, we see a range and a mixture of emotions. There's almost this blame that she puts on Jesus, right? When she says, if only you had been there, maybe you could have helped. But there's also a tender faith, as if to say, maybe there is still something that you can do. But why the delay? Why the delay? Jesus even says that He is glad that He wasn't there. He says that it's all for the glory of God, and He says that in His absence, somehow, more people would be brought to belief in Him. Meryl Tinney writes it like this, that Jesus' delay was not cruelty, but constructive discipline, meaning that Jesus had to show restraint and self-control, not to act urgently and reactively and anxiously, but peacefully and intentionally. how easy is it for us to want to rush in and fix the problems that we see? But Jesus shows that often a calm response is better than a hasty repair.
0: You have been listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. To learn more about the Burning Church of Christ, please visit org. Now, with the rest of today's message, here is minister Chris Palmer. Verse
1: 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, there's some very meaningful theology in what Martha has just said. The resurrection was a very touchy subject in Jewish circles at this time. Paul explains this division pretty clearly in Acts chapter 23, if you want to dig a little bit deeper. Acts 23. And this disagreement basically goes like this. The Pharisees believed that there would be a resurrection of the dead on the last day, and it was going to be this one big event. All at once, one big final last day. Now, the Sadducees, however, did not believe that there would be a resurrection. Now, regarding the resurrection, Martha seems to be on team Pharisees, the resurrection all at once, all on the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In these words, Jesus completely reframes the debate about the resurrection. As with all of His other I am statements, Jesus claims that He is the incarnation. He is the tangible embodiment of their faith. He is the bread of life and the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, the life. In the person of Jesus can all of this be found? And now He says He is the resurrection And the life. In Christ, there is victory over death. Through faith, life goes on even after the body gives out. And Jesus is declaring that the resurrection is not some far off event into the future. He's speaking present tense. He says, I am the resurrection here, now, today. And Scripture says that He is the firstborn from among the dead, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty, as we read earlier, Colossians 1, 18, and Revelations 1, 5, as Jonathan shared just a little while ago, the first to be resurrected, not on a last day exactly, but to mark the beginning of God's final chapter. Jesus is declaring to Martha and to the world that eternal life comes through Him, and He's running a little bit ahead of their schedule. Simply put, the kingdom is near. David Lipscomb puts it this way. He says, he, meaning Jesus, means that he is the power which will open every grave, that will give life to every sleeper, that will call them forth from the tomb to a new existence, that the life he endows men with eternal being is in him and proceeds from him. In the light of His own resurrection, He means that, he, uh, that when He opens the tomb, He does it for all men, and that they may have won the victory over death. Next, Martha confirms her belief. She proclaims that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And then they are met by Martha, uh, Mary, who makes a very familiar remark. Mary says, "'Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died.'" Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. What a remarkably profound few sentences of Scripture. Jesus, who was so purposeful in His delay, so full of faith in His Father, the walking, talking resurrection and life, now moved to tears and sorrow. The empathetic compassion of the God-man, hearted at the sight of His friends being brokenhearted. Faith and sadness coexisting perfectly and beautifully. What a friend we have in Jesus who knows exactly how you and I feel when our hearts are deflated and our spirits are crushed and the tears are running. That's what's so radically different between Jesus and every other remedy for our sadness is that He alone can say, I know exactly how you feel but I am the resurrection and the life. So, do you believe this? There is no substance, no escape, no cheap relationship, no amount of wealth or stuff or popularity or power that can deliver on the promise of bringing something that was dead back to life except for Jesus Christ. And we can say all day long that my situation is different. My situation is worse. My situation is hopeless. My situation is irredeemable and beyond repair. But I firmly believe that Jesus says tenderly to us the same thing that He said at Lazarus's tomb in verse 39. He says, "'Take away the stone.'" He tells them to remove the stone that is covering the entrance to Lazarus' grave, which, again, they say, that's a bad idea. Martha states the obvious. She says, it's been four days. It's not a pleasant sight in there. She says, it doesn't smell good. I can relate to that. When Jesus wants to roll away the stone that covers up my heart, When he asks to look at the messes and the hurts and the decays that I have buried away, when he says, Let's take a look at it and be honest about what we're working with, let's let it breathe a little, let me in so I can do my work, let's see if we can bring any life out of all that death. So many times I say, No, nope, we're not going to go there. It's too messy, it's too stinky. It's too much trouble. It's too much decay. Let's just let it rest right where it is. And just as he said to Martha, he asks me, verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And I say, Jesus, all of this brokenness, it, it, it can't be fixed. And he says, watch me. I am The resurrection, and the life. So they roll away the stone, and Jesus lifts up His eyes to heaven and gives thanks to the Father for hearing His Son, because in doing so, it might bring those who were present to belief. And He calls out in a cry of authority and power, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And there you have it, Lazarus alive and free, given a second chance at life, and the sisters have a second chance with their brother. Now, many will explain that Lazarus' raising was not a true resurrection, but rather a resuscitation. You see, the true resurrection that we'll see later in Jesus Himself is a transformation, to an eternal form. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that in a little bit more detail if you want to dig a little deeper. Lazarus, however, was restored only to his mortal life, and he would die again. In fact, in the very next chapter, the Pharisees are already starting to plan how they can kill Lazarus. Why? Because he is very convincing evidence of Jesus's authority. But the true firstborn from among the dead is Jesus, when His own stone would be rolled away, and He would leave His burial rags behind, never to wear them again, the impossible to extinguish light of God, the resurrection, and the life. And Jesus asks, do you believe this? Now, this may come as a shock to you. But I have never been stranded on the moon before. And I have no plans to ever try. But I have felt hopeless. I have felt the pain of loss. And I have half blamed God for my sorrows. If only you had been there, this wouldn't have happened. And every time so far, he has found a way to breathe new life back into me. He hasn't brought back any deceased loved ones, not yet. He hasn't fixed every single hurting relationship, not yet. He has not erased the damage caused by my sins, not yet. But He cries with me when I cry. He doesn't flinch at the decay buried behind the stone in my heart, and He redeems my life. For the, uh, to bring glory to God. There are some things that have not been fixed yet, wounds that are still open, relationships still hurting, and sometimes even hopes still fading. For those things, I have to remind myself, He's not delaying. He is constructively disciplined. And even if I have to wait until Jesus comes again, I can do that because I believe that He is the resurrection and the life.
0: Thank you for listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. You can join the Bernie Church of Christ here on Bernie Radio each Sunday at 11 a.m. or for worship online or in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To learn more about the Bernie Church of Christ, please visit BernieChurchOfChrist.org or call 830-249. 2685 that is 830 249 2685 thank you once again for listening to the bernie church of christ